0: Amen. Well, welcome everyone back. It's good to see each and every one of you. Um, We're we're continuing our Advent series on the Compassionate Father. And today, I want to focus on God has spoken His mercy. God has spoken His mercy. You know, to recap what our Advent series has been about, and I'm sure all of you guys remember because uh, these uh, messages you take to heart and you're remembering it as we're continuing forward. But we've covered how God addresses our brokenness. We've also covered how God addresses justice in our world. And last week, we had Jacob Moon come to address how God addresses fatherlessness, Today, I want to focus on His mercy that He has spoken into our lives. God's mercy that He has spoken right into our lives. You know, every now and then, I'm not sure if you guys reflect on your past and on your childhood, but every now and then, a memory comes to mind of my childhood, and I'm amazed that I'm still here today. Right? Because there's some foolish things that I've done in my past and in my childhood where I feel like, oh my goodness, I could have died. Or, oh my goodness, if it wasn't for God's mercy, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I remember one time, and there are many, but I remember one particular time when I was in elementary school and I was uh, with one of my friends and we loved going out into wooded areas. And so we'd ride our bike to this kind of foresty, wooded area. And back then, you guys need to know, um, we didn't have cell phones back then, right? And so uh, our parents operated by this kind of mindset of no news is good news. So, you know, we would disappear for like, you know, half the day, But it'd be okay, right? Because if there's no news, it's good news. And we'd always come back around dinner time. And so my friend and I, uh, I think this was a weekend. We went off to this wooded area. And it was right after uh, a large rainfall that had happened. And so there are these kind of like inlets that was um, in this um, area that's kind of like swampy, but with uh, water that was flowing through it. And it usually wasn't very deep. But because it was right after the rainfall, it was really deep and there was actually a current, a pretty fast current that was going through it. And so my friend and I, we thought, you know, having elementary school brains, we thought it'd be really cool for us to like jump from one inlet to the to the other and make it across this kind of like really like treacherous path of rushing waters. And so my friend went first and he was like hopping, 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 and he got to the other side. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And so I did the same thing. So I started hopping, hopping, hopping. And then the last one that I hopped to, I missed. And as I missed it, I was able to grab on to that to the long grass that was there. And as I grabbed onto it, I could hear the roots being pulled out and me slowly getting sucked in into the water. But thank God that my friend was there. He saw me. He didn't just run ahead. He saw me. He ran back, grabbed my hand before I fell in and pulled me out. And both of us, as we sat down on the ground, we looked back and we had a good laugh. But now as a parent, as I look on that I'm like going, I could have died. We didn't have cell phones back then. It would be too late if I fell in and I was washed away. And all I could think about is, wow, God's mercy. right? God's mercy at work in my foolishness, even as a child. And it's not God's mercy, I realize, is not just at work in those moments when I'm aware that I just did a foolish thing and I got out of it because of his mercy. I'm also aware as I read the Israelite story and I see times when they were traveling through the wilderness and they're caught between this mountain area and just a large plain where there are ready to be attacked. And it's the perfect place to attack them. And um, Balak and Balaam are kind of like, they're talking, um, uh, talking with the king saying, hey, we're going to invade them and we're going to take everything away from them. But God says, no, I'm going to protect my people. And as vulnerable as they are and as unaware as the Israelites were to this impending attack, God in his mercy protects the people of Israel in the wilderness when they are unaware. And I can't can't imagine how many of those times when I was struggling through life and as bad as my life may have seemed in certain moments, where I feel like I'm in the wilderness, where I feel like I'm just getting by, where I feel like, you know I'm scrounging for food or scrounging for uh, just like them, symbolgy, scrounging just to get by every day, and me just feeling self-pity in just the condition that I'm in, that God's mercy is still at work because I don't recognize there are other forces, there are other things that are impending that want to tear me down completely, where I'm ripe for the picking. Yet God has mercy, and He protects His people, even when they are unaware. We are going to begin by reading Psalm 78 together. And Psalm 78, it's a really long psalm. It has around uh, 72 verses. Uh, but instead of reading the whole thing, I'm just going to read the introduction uh, from verses 1 through 8. And I'll explain the rest of the psalm um, as we go through it. So Psalm 178 verses 1 through 8. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things from of old, things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from, our, from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, and the wonders He has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established a law in Israel Which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation will know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. Then they will put their trust in God and will not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They will not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits we're not faithful to him. See, uh, psalm 78, it's known as a historical psalm that teaches a lesson. It shows the history of the people of Israel, but the point of sharing that history is to share a particular lesson with the people of God. So Asaph, who's the writer of the psalm, he makes that clear from the very beginning in verse 1, when, he's, when he begins by telling his readers, listen to these teachings. He makes it clear, I'm about to recount the story of Israel and a portion of their history, but I want you to listen carefully to the teaching. You see, Asaph is basically telling his hearers that as he goes through this, that The tendency that we have as God's people is if we don't remember our past, we are doomed to repeat it. And so he wants people to know. Here is how the previous generation or the previous people of God kept stumbling over the same thing over and over again. And I want you to be made aware so that we don't repeat this for the duration of our own following of Jesus Christ. So let me, as he um, gives that intro in verses 1 through 8, let me break down the rest of the verses for you. What we see in Psalm, if you actually put it into a pattern and you notice the pattern that he is using, he separates it into two blocks. So you can see it on your screen. The first block is from Psalm uh, 78 verses 9 to 39. And there we see this pattern in which he recounts a history. The pattern begins with God's people are rebelling. So what the psalmist does is he recounts to them the act of God's mercy that that God had on their life that brought them to where they are today. But despite sharing that mercy with God's people, they continue to rebel against the Most High. And then, as God sees their nonstop stubborn rebellion, He gets angry and He brings judgment. But it doesn't end with judgment or His anger, but we see God providing His final response of forgiveness and hope. So then we also see He repeats it again, just in case we miss it the first time. Asaph repeats that same pattern all over again from verses 40 to 72. So he begins again with people rebelling, and then he talks about God's mercy, and then people rebelling still in response to God's mercy, and showing that how God gets angry, and he brings judgment, but then it ending again with another display of God's grace through hope. You see, by repeating this pattern twice... In this psalm, what Asaph is doing is he's emphasizing two things. Here's the lesson that he wants us to learn. The first emphasis is this, how God's people keep on repeating the same rebellious ways over and over again no matter how many times god shows his mercy no matter how many times god continues to lead his people his people continue the cyclical habit of just rebelling over and over and over again the second lesson that we learn from here the emphasis that asaph gives is in response to the cyclical pattern of god's uh, of the people of god's rebelliousness we see god's constant ultimate response we see God's constant and ultimate response to this so let's get into this together so here's the first emphasis the first emphasis is we are consistently rebelling but God is consistently merciful we are consistently rebelling but God is consistently merciful The pattern that we see here in Israel's history is that they keep on forgetting where they are today because of God's mercy. They keep on forgetting where they are today because of God's mercy. So what I mean by this is this. Remember, they were in the wilderness and they begin to rebel. And part of the rebellion is they get annoyed at the fact that where is water to drink? Where is food to eat? Right? And why are we always being attacked by other nations? And the land that you promised us, why are the people there twice our size and more experienced in welfare? Why did you bring us out in into the wilderness? You see, what the people forget is in their past the reason why they currently experience the freedom that they have and the and the opportunity to develop their identity as a nation is because God's mercy was already at work in their life see what they're reminded of is God's mercy already took place that brought them out of slavery it brought them out of oppression from the egyptians and gave them This new freedom. But whenever we go into a new space and we have a new uh, uh, empty space that we are called to build upon, yes, there are going to be struggles in that space. But the thing is, it's far better than where we previously were. Because what would their life look like if they were still stuck in Egypt under that oppressive regime? Yes, they are struggling now, but the problem with the Israelites is that they have a short-term memory. They can't appreciate the new freedoms that they have because they keep on forgetting God's mercy that was at work in their life in the past. You know, when we look at our own life, isn't that the same case with us? Sometimes we forget we are where we are because of God's mercy brought us here. Yes, we might be experiencing new issues and new challenges in this space, but we need to have this appreciation that we are here because God's mercy brought us here. Imagine what life would look like if God's mercy didn't bring us here in the first place. For example, you know, sometimes marriages struggle and a husband and a wife, they keep on fighting and they go at it and they get angry with each other. And they forget God's mercy of allowing them to have met their spouse years back and brought them to this place. Because if that did not happen, then what kind of loneliness or what kind of feelings of insecurity would they have if that didn't happen in the past? For some of us, it's about a job. That we got this new job and we're in a new place in this job that we have. And we forget that back then God provided mercy in providing us with a new job. And bringing us into this new space so that we could have it. But what back then, what if we didn't get any job offers? Yes, we have current situations and challenges here. But we can't forget God's mercy in the past. You see, the people of Israel... They, all they focused on was what's not working right now. And what they decided to do is in their rebelliousness and their stubbornness, is they decide, I'll do it my way. Yes, God may have brought me here, but from now on I'm taking over, but that's not how it works. God brought you there because in His power, in His direction, He is the only one that leads us forward. You know, the amazing thing that I see about God's mercy in this psalm is just how consistent God is with His mercy towards His people. Despite the amount of times they keep rebelling, they keep complaining, and they keep declaring to Him, My life was so much better back then without you. You know, I see this lack of appreciation a lot in longtime Christians as well. Long time churchgoers. They tend to develop this been there, done that kind of attitude. And what I mean by this is they are people in their past, they have already experienced God's mercy, God's grace, and who God is. And they have a very foundational understanding of who God is. But over time, not sure when it happens or why it happens or how it happens, but for whatever reason, they stop depending on God and they start depending on their own ways. They have this kind of transition where they begin to believe, I know what's best for my life now. I know who God is and all these kind of stuff. Been there, done that. I understand that. Right? And the way that I'm going to go forward is in this way. You see, what Asaph does in the introduction is he introduces us in verses 5 to 8, this kind of been there, done that attitude, and just how dangerous that kind of mindset can be for Christians. You see, in, verse 70, uh, in chapter 78, verse 5, he says to the people, he says, continually recount this and the mercies that God has brought into your life to your children and to your unborn children. And keep on sharing that over and over again. But this is what happens because by verse 8, what he shares is even though they keep sharing what their history was and how God had worked in their life, it's only about their past. You see, what the ancient people stopped doing was continually trusting God in this moment today. And so although they are trying to teach other people and tell other people this is how God has acted, they stop listening to God in their present day. This is why in verse 8 he says, don't be like the ancients who continued to rebel in their stubbornness. So they taught and they said, I've been there, done that, and here are all the things that you need to know about God and I already have all of those experiences, but they fail to continue to live in that obedience in their present day. You know, a lot of times when we have this kind of mindset, what happens to us is that we begin to have this kind of self-righteous, kind of judgy attitude towards other people because we already feel like I'm, I've already arrived. I already have the foundation of faith. I already know who God is and all about God. And so I can continually just make my own decisions in my life. But what happens when we do that is that we really become unknowingly, we just become judgy and we become self-righteous. Right? We begin to judge other people and saying, yeah, I know what they're going through and, and you know, I've been through that. So that's good for them. But for me, I'm, I'm living in this life. But for them, they're struggling in this area because they don't know this. We also become self-righteous in our own ways. And we just say, yes, I know that. And we rationalize every decision that we make in our life. And because we feel like we have this foundation of faith. I think this is, you know, one of the perfect examples of how media portrays, you know, what they consider to be serious Christians is... Through the sitcom. Do you guys remember the sitcom, The Office? Do you guys remember that? Some of you guys might be too young, but in the sitcom, The Office, there is a character in there named Angela, right? And Angela, yeah, there it is right there. So Angela, she was known as the judgy Christian, right? And, but oftentimes that's how the media and the world see us. They see us as people who are always judging, always, um, always, uh, having an opinion on other people but when it comes to their own lives they're living substandard to the righteousness they insist that others have yet they bend the corners when it comes to their own life. We become like Angela right where we, we notice everything that's wrong about other people but we don't see how we are doing the same thing in our own life as well. You know, Jesus talked about this in one of his illustrations about judging people. He says, don't worry about the speck that is in someone else's eye. Worry about the plank that is in your own eye. See, the problem with this kind of been there, done that attitude is twofold. Number one, not only is it judgy because we look at other people's uh, speck, but because of the plank in our own eye, that plank blinds us from seeing how God's mercy is at work in our present life. We're too busy feeling that we've already arrived. We're too busy feeling that we already know and there's nothing more that you can really teach me. Because i already been there. I've done that. I, I know what your answer is going to be. I know what the right God response is. And we have that plank. And we miss out on how God is continually merciful despite our rebellious attitude in this present time. Now, there's a second lesson that uh, ASAP brings to our attention and that's our second emphasis where God's increasing mercy is shown in our lives. God's increasing mercy is shown in our lives. You see, God's response to our rebelliousness, it does not end with anger. And his judgment. This is the good news that we see in those two kind of um, uh, in those two parts, right? In the first part, yes, he gets angry and he brings judgment. But notice that that part does not ever end with God's anger or his judgment. It always ends. The first part it ends with God's extension of forgiveness, even when the people don't ask for it. It's an amazing mercy that God gives to his people. He offers forgiveness even before his people ask for it. You see, what this means for us brothers and sisters is that you can be assured that God's final response to me and you will always be forgiveness. It will never be anger and judgment. You know, sometimes in our life, we feel like that. We feel like we've strayed too far. We feel like, you know, God can't forgive me because of this or it's been so long and God must be still angry with me or disappointed with me and all this kind of stuff. You have to stop that thinking because that is not of God. God, He may be temporarily disappointed, angry, and bring judgment for the actions that we have, but it doesn't end with that. He brings forgiveness. His final response to each and every one of us, despite our rebelliousness, despite no matter how many times we do it over and over and over again, is forgiveness. But wait, just as the infomercial says, but wait, there's more. Right? There's more to just forgiveness. And what Asaph does is in that second part, as he repeats the second part, he says, here and then it goes to uh, God's anger then it goes to God's forgiveness and he starts a whole cycle again but this time it doesn't lead to just forgiveness he ends this one with hope he says God has chosen Zion God has chosen David Zion represents God's people and what God says is this, by the end of it, despite our rebelliousness and how many times we go against Him, God's final word to us is, but I've chosen you. He says, but you are mine. No matter how many times you rebel, no matter how many times you go off, no matter how many mistakes that you make, no matter how many times you misunderstand what I'm doing in your life. He says, but I have chosen you. You know, the grace that we can see in that, as he says, not only does he chosen us, sometimes we feel like, yeah, but God, I'm not good enough. Or God, I make so many mistakes. Or God, you know, I'm not worthy of it. And goes, yes, but here's the good part, is you don't have to be. And the reason why is he says, I have appointed David, he says. Now, David was a symbolic shepherd. He was a symbolic messianic figure, meaning this. I have chosen David to come and to shepherd you, to help you, to guide you, to give his life for you. This is Jesus Christ. Now, the reason why God's guarantee of always saying to us, I've chosen you and nothing will change that is because of what Jesus has done. Remember, God is angry and he brings judgment. But here steps in his son and he says, for that judgment, the penalty for their rebelliousness, God, I will pay with my own life so that you can keep on choosing your people. this is why God never forsakes us. Despite his what I can only imagine to be his frustration with how many times we just keep turning our back on Him over and over and over again, God keeps saying, "I've chosen you." Now I can't recount the number of times. I screwed up in my life and how unworthy I would feel to be used by him, to be led by him, to continue my life when I don't deserve the second chance. This became really clear to me one time when I was in seminary, you know, I'm training to be a pastor. And I think it was in my third year of seminary, I had this one uh, class, and uh, one of the assignments for the class was finish reading this book. And, you know, I just couldn't finish it. I, in fact, I didn't even begin to read it. And the professor said, when we come into class next week and we sit down together, we're going to discuss the book book together. I'll split you off into groups and your mark for that class will all be based on your discussion that you have with your cohort. So we all sat down together. I still didn't read the book. And as soon as I got there, I'm reading the back cover of the book to hoping that I have some idea what's happening. And I'm just hoping that, you know, no one's going to ask me. I won't participate. I'll just listen and just nod my hand and go, yeah, 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 that's good. And so we're having our discussion. Everything is going well. Five minutes left to the class, and I'm so happy because I didn't have to contribute, and I get to go scot-free without finishing reading this book, and I'll still get my marks, and I'm so happy. But then there has to be that one pastoral woman that's in our group that's concerned that I'm not sharing. And she feels like, oh, we're, blo- we're not giving him a chance to share. And so she looks at me and goes, Eddie, I noticed that you didn't have a chance to share. I'm- we're so sorry because uh, we were just talking away and we never gave you a chance to come in. And I went, no, 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 that's fine. You know, I, I really like enjoying No, we want to hear from your perspective, right? W- what were you thinking about in that book? In that instant, I had a choice to make. Number one, come clean. Right? Remember, these are all pastors or soon-to-be pastors. Or number two, continue my deceit, continue my lie. And in that moment, in the wisdom that I had, I decided I'm going to lie to all of these pastors. Evil, right? And so I did. I started to make up a story based on all the things that they said, right? So I'm taking in certain parts and then I make up this kind of illustration. I say, I think the author trying to do this and all of this kind of stuff. And people are looking at me wide-eyed. And the more I get into it, the more I'm like, wow, this sounds pretty good. And so I continue on this elaborate kind of made-up thing that I don't know what I'm talking about. And then in the middle of it, suddenly a girl stops me and she just says, Eddie, I, I'm so sorry. I can't follow you. Like, where are you getting this from? Where's this symbolism coming from? Can you point in the book where you're getting this? I'm like, hmm. And then again, that that choice comes. Come clean now, right? You've already went too far. Come clean now. Tell them that you're making it all up. You didn't read the book. But I didn't. I, I was trying to, in my mind, trying to make up. Should I just just? choose a page and hopefully there's something there as I open it up and I scan it that I can give an answer to it but before I do there's this one guy from England he spoke up and he says uh, he looked at me and goes you know yeah 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 you know what I can see that and then he starts making the argument for me right and then they continue in that discussion and at that moment as I realized I get to walk free from this because the class is going to end. That guy stood up for me. No one knows any better. And, you know, I can move on with my life. That moment, God spoke really clear to my heart. And it was basically this. Eddie, choose this day. Who's going to be your Lord? It's going to be your fears and your deceit and this desire to prop up a certain image of yourself or is it going to be me? Because if you continue in this path that you're going in right now, it will lead to death, death of my spirit, death of my mind, this guilt that I have to struggle with. And it was so hard because everyone's engaging conversation, I saying God no what right now? What? Now? Like now I have to confess it's so bad that like everyone's gonna man, this I might get kicked out of school, right, because of my deceit and they'll say you're not worthy to be a pastor. But that feeling came so strong that As the class is about to end, I stopped them and I just said to everyone, hey guys, really sorry, but can we just stop for a moment? I just have something to share. They're all looking at me thinking like, yeah, finally he has his proof, right? And he's going to give his illustration. But I just said, you know what? I got to apologize because I lied to each and every one of you right now. I didn't didn't read the book and I didn't want to admit that I didn't read the book. I didn't want to lose marks for today. So I made it up. One of the other ladies that was in my group, she just couldn't believe it. She was absolutely disgusted. And she turned to me and just says, why are you here? Why do you want to be a pastor when you lie about these kind of things? Class was dismissed. Everyone's leaving. Another uh, lady that was in my group, she came up to me and gave me grace. And she said to me, Eddie, what you did, you know, it's, it's nasty. But I want you to know that I think you coming forward took a lot of courage. And I want you to know, at least for me, I forgive you. That didn't mean so much at that moment because I still feel so guilty for what I did. And I said, yes, I understand. Thank you so much. But I still need to tell the professor uh, what I did and figure out what the consequences are going to be. And so I walked over to the professor in class, and I was just preparing my heart for just saying, maybe I'll be suspended. Maybe um, this whole class, I will lose everything, the whole credit for. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I went up to her and I said to the professor, I lied to the class. I pretended that I read this because I didn't want to lose marks for today, but I didn't read it at all, and I made things up. And she looked at me, and again, what she said to me is, Eddie, Ken, it's inexcusable for what you've done. This is a seminary, right? And this is where we're training to be pastors. Lead other people to what God's kingdom is about. But I want you to experience this today. Mercy. He said, You will lose marks for today's class. But from now going forward, I consider this matter closed. So she never reported me. She never, you know, put it on my permanent record. And when she said that, there's this like huge weight that was taken off my shoulder where I felt again God saying, receive my mercy despite your rebellious heart, despite your rebellious self-righteous ways. You know, God speaks mercy into our life when we don't earn it and when we don't deserve it even when we try to cover it up and even when we try to deny it, He still shows mercy to us. Now, the author of Hebrews, he draws on this tendency of God's people rebelling by saying this, To whom was God speaking? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed Him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter His rest. That's in Hebrews 3, 18 to 19. You see, God, He extends His mercy. And the reason why He gives mercy to us is just think about your Christmas season right now and just how busy it is and how full of all of these distractions and, and just how, how empty, emptying it makes us feel. And isn't the longing that each one of us have is peace in our hearts? Isn't the longing that each one of us has is some sort of rest in our minds? And God knows like overwhelming pressure that a rebellious heart and a sinful mind can bring in weighing us down. And the reason why God gives mercy to us is He says, I want to bring my people into rest, that they may have rest of their soul. They may have rest of their mind. They don't have to carry this burden on their shoulder, on their heart, on their mind any longer. Can you imagine what my life would have been like if I never confessed And just that burden of weight that I'm carrying even this day because I lied back then and always feeling like an imposter pastor that I'm not worthy because I lied my way in to become a pastor. Can you imagine that restlessness that I would deal with? But God in His mercy extends it. Yes, I experienced judgment. Yes, I paid the penalty. For what I did. But it doesn't end there. It ended with his mercy. His forgiveness. And his hope. See brothers and sisters. God. Wants us. To enter into rest. Into his rest. Look at verse 7. He shows us. How we enter into it. And how we stay in God's rest. He says. Continue to put your trust in God. Don't forget his deeds and keep his commands. In other words, remember when the people were in the wilderness, what they are reminded to do, and whenever we are in the wilderness and what we're reminded to do is this trust God, don't forget his deeds, how he has been working in your life, and keep his commands. Keep moving forward with Him. Don't take your anchor off of Him. You know, a lot of times, brothers and sisters, during a busy season, God is the first person that we let go of. That leads us into that spiral where we just feel the absence of God in our life. It makes us feel like we have to work for things ourselves. But today, may we learn a lesson from the history of the people of Israel. This lesson being that it never ends with judgment or anger, but His forgiveness and His hope. And to keep that in our life, He says, trust in God, don't forget His deeds, and keep His command, no matter what kind of wilderness experiencing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for blessing us with this time this morning, Father Lord, to learn from Asaph and to learn, Father Lord, what you are trying to teach us through him. I pray, Father Lord, that in our own wilderness that we won't perpetuate this spirit of rebelliousness and since it's of always oh, just going our own way and letting go of you Help us, Father, Lord, to anchor to you so we don't propel ourselves continually in our own rebellious ways, but we find rest in our soul and our mind as we trust in you, as we remember what you've done in our life, and we continue to keep your commands. Thank you, Father. We commit this message. It take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.